Welcome to the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley. We're here for of our in-depth player and team profiles for the 2018 Supercoach season. And like our first parts of the analysis and reviews, we've got uh, Billy here. Billy, how are you doing tonight? Good chat. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Kind of looking forward to a bit of Supercoach, actually. I've um, just realised we're within the two-week mark and team, Teamless Tuesday is only a week away. Seven days, mate. Seven days. It's like counting down to Christmas, sort of. Only you're not getting socks and shoes. Some of us will probably get some presents, and some of us will probably get some lumps of coal. I think <laughs> the way it goes, <laughs> mate. If there's lumps of meal, I'll be happy. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to start off with the Cronulla Sharks. Before I do, I realised with some feedback and chatting to some people and stuff. On some of our other podcasts, I've had some questions about some players that we might have left out with certain teams and things. So just to throw down a bit of criteria on what we're trying to do with our in-depth analysis and stuff on each team and the players. Me and Billy would love to talk about every single player in each squad, but um, we just don't have the time to because it takes too long and we want to keep it rolling and interesting. So there's a few guys that we will leave out of each team. Some of them are kind of... um, speak for themselves like we didn't talk much about Connor Watson for the Knights because I think everyone knows that he's a good buy and he's cheap and everything so we kind of moved on um likewise we left five in out too we left two out five in oh right well yeah so we leave, we leave a lot of the good ones out it seems but um yeah we will also I guess not talk about some of the guys that are just givens because you know that they're a great buy and stuff too so we'll try and concentrate on some lesser knowns as well so that's the other thing with this one it's good for us to talk about some guys that maybe don't get spoken about on other pods or in other articles and stuff that might be a bit interesting. Even if we're not going to start with them for round one, they might be a good watch and stuff. And people like Antonio Winterstein from the Cowboys, for instance, um, is a good one to sort of have a look at that's a bit under the radar and stuff. So we'll go through probably five or six players in depth on each squad um, and the main five or six we want to concentrate on. And for the Cronulla Sharks, I'm going to start off with um, one of the greatest super coach players of all time. Paul Gallen, awesome, awesome super coach player and a guy that I don't actually have in my side, Billy, and it's not for a lack of trying. Uh, 675,000 Gal clocks in at to start with for round one, coming off an average score that was actually better than 2016. So he had a 76-point average in 17. Prior to that, it was a 75-79, monstrous 91 in 2014. But the big stat for last season for Paul Gallen was he managed to play 24 games, which is massive because years before, we looked at 18, 16, and 9 before his 24 games in 2017. That's where heaps of his value was. Um, and he did that when he's 36 years old. I think he's turning 37 in the not-too-distant future, if, if I'm correct. Billy, have you got Paul Gallen in your side at the moment for round one? No, I don't, mate. Not because I don't want to, although just having a look at the numbers in front of me again, I'm starting to second-guess myself, but we can talk about that one in a minute, I suppose. Yeah, I, I'm actually the same. I, I haven't even thought about him much until the last couple of weeks. I might have the TLT jitters and um, the round one jitters and thinking, geez, these numbers that Gow throws up, he's probably going to do mid-70s again. Maybe I should just pay the money just to get him. I think you will, mate. Just having a quick look now for the sake of having a chat about those numbers. I didn't know this, but up and what was it? Uh, up until round round fifteen, the bloke had two scores under seventy last year, and that, those were round one and three when he had uh, he had a sixty-five minute game and a fifty-five minute game. But beyond that, he, had, he only had two tries the rest of those games. So Gal just being Gal playing around about sort of sixty-ish minutes, he just popped those those scores out tailed off a little bit towards the um, the end and then sort of picked his average up again with a couple of uh, a 99 and a, and a 110 towards the end. So he didn't get too much off his average, but I think Gal is still being Gal, mate, even around that sort of 60-minute mark. So he's probably still a... If, you can, if you've got the coin in the pocket, mate, he's probably still the type of guy that you'd want to try getting your team and then slap the C on him if your VC doesn't work out from sort of round three, four, all the way through to the buyers and see how he's travelling uh, fitness-wise. Yeah, and that's what I'm starting to think myself now. I'm actually looking at ways to move my team around to maybe have him. But um, I do remember last year, and this is kind of, I guess, a good point to talk about for a minute with Gal. I do remember that start last year, and I wasn't quite on the bandwagon that a number of people were of saying, oh, Gal's, this is going to be the year that Gal's going to fall over and um, he's not going to be as good because you mentioned before two out of the first three rounds 
he didn't play great minutes, 55 minutes in one of them, and he, um, his scores were suffering a little bit to start the season. But then he obviously just exploded and went back into normal gal. 36 years old at the moment. I am a little bit worried, I guess, whether age will catch up with him a little bit. And that's not necessarily just his gameplay, but I've been trying to rack my brain as to whether the Sharks are going to try and manage his minutes more or not. But having a look at it, I mean, he did 64 minutes the last two years in a row, which was already down from the 76 and 71, three and four years ago, respectively. And since they brought Seguiaro a while ago now, it's clear that Seguiaro is going to be their, their bench utility guy. So they're only going to roll with three forwards on the bench. Um, so I, I can't really see his minutes going down from 64. Do you think they might try and drop his minutes or anything? Why? The guy's already dropped. The guy's already dropped. At his last year, it's not it's Gal, mate. He's one of the biggest warhorse forwards in the last sort of 10, 15 years. It's not like he's going to turn around and say, look, I want to conserve my energy for the end of the year. He's not going to be playing 55 minutes. So you can pretty much guarantee he's going to get at least at a 60. And that's what, five-minute drop on his average. And he seems to be still pumping out the, um, the big scores with um, 60, 65 minutes. So I don't think there's anything you really want to worry about. If you want him in your team, just get him in. Yeah, oh, I tend to agree. So I think for everyone listening, there's not much point going to Gao too much. He's one of the best players that you can get. I'm not too worried about his minutes and stuff. It was just a few questions floating around and stuff. But um, the one thing that I am always worried a little bit about, which is still there, and that's his um, his games played with his 18, 16 and 9 that he played before last season. So I did get pretty burnt in 15 and 16 in particular starting with him. It really hurt when he went down. But yeah, it's worth it, like you said, Billy. I think it's worth paying it. So my strategy with Gao at the moment is I really want him in my team. Anyone who's got him, I'd say it's a great move. No one should be arguing with anyone about having Gal in their side for round one. My strategy, though, is that I, I want a lot of back row forwards. That's part of how I want to build my team for round one. And um, I can't afford to be able to stack my back row forwards enough if I have Gal. It's basically the difference between having like two guns in there, like a, like a Nathan Brown and a, a Trent Merrin, to having Gal and somebody who I really don't want there, it's not really very good. So I kind of gone for depth over having a lot of um, 670-odd K players in most of my squad. Yeah, that's probably the mitigating factor, isn't it? You, you have Gal and you weaken yourself elsewhere where there's there's no one else mid-range around. Whereas the second row, that's where there's a lot of value where you can probably um, cut under and grab just uh, a combination of uh, Cardi and Murray and a couple of other blokes like that to uh, offset Gal's price. Yeah, look, it's that age-old conundrum, isn't it? He's the type of bloke that you want to have in your team, but you got to do the money spread. So look, I think I'm going to leave him out for now. But if you want someone that's consistent around sort of 75 points for a captain, then yeah, great. He's going to be there, so don't discount him. I'm just sort of once bitten, twice shy. I, I captained him, captained him uh, round one a couple of years ago when he had that syndesmosis round one, I think it was, and he killed my season then. And last year I did the same thing with uh, J-Brom, so I really, really don't want to go back and get a bloke who's going to go down the first round. But if he's only playing 55 or 60 minutes, yeah, look, he might be in for another big year. But not for me, but yeah, let's maybe move on and hope someone picks him up and does well. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure a lot of guys will start with him. So let's move on to uh, one other thing I will mention to the to everyone out there, though. I would probably make room for him in my side if he was a front row forward. He's the, um, the old DPP is reductions in super coach has, has killed a lot of guys' value and he was on the cusp for me. If I could have put him in front row forward, I probably would have needed to because there's not that depth there. Like you said, there's so much depth in second row, so it's a little bit harder. But yeah, we'll move on to um, the other prop forward at Cronulla, the other middle forward, I should say, Andrew Fafita. He's definitely a gun, but a guy who's pretty polarizing, Billy. I mean, he's been one of my favorites for a long time. Um, I started with him a lot in round one and just really enjoy his game. The sort of forward that can give you that sort of attack with heaps of offloads and tackle breaks, the odd line break, the old... Uh, Sideways for feeder crab run where he gets his five TBs and, and an offload at the end. Those are just gold. So I've always been a big fan. This is probably the first year where I started with Fifi from the first time I started doing my super coach planning, partly because the front row forward stocks are so low and because I love him. And then slowly, slowly, as I kept making different drafts of my team, he ended up being one of my casualties just because I've been scared off with his slow starts in the past before. So that was my main reason and also at his price as well. I'm a little bit gun shy because I believe last year I started with him and he um, 
He did start off pretty slow, I have to say. The start of last year wasn't fantastic. And he ended up, that affected his stats as well. So I'll rattle off some stats for you, Billy. And then you can tell me what you see in Andrew Fafita and his numbers. He actually had his worst season he's had in recent memory last year. So he averaged 64 points per game in 2017. I dare say a lot of that was dragged down by that slow start. The three years before, though, he was safe as a bank, 72, 73, and a monster 77 in 2014. So this is the first year last season in 2017 that he's fallen below the 70s, and he fell below by six points with only 64. His minutes, he actually played more minutes in 2017 per game than what he has in any of those four seasons. So that's the other concerning thing. So he did 56 minutes in 2017. Years before, 55, 54, 54. So it's a pretty significant drop on his PPM of 1.43 PPM four years ago to 1.15 this past season. So there is a couple of red flags there. How are you seeing Fafita shape up for 2018? I started with him last year for the same reason. I thought he was kind of undervalued a little bit. I thought he could step up a little bit more. He only had one try and two assists last year, so that's brought him right back down. Yeah, rather than money regarding his minutes, his minutes haven't changed at all. did have him in the first draft on my side and haven't sort of for a long time. Just digging into the numbers and mucking around a little bit yesterday, the only thing I did find of value apart from the um, the tries going missing and the try assist was, well, this is an interesting one. So between round 11 and around 19 this year, he did average uh, 75. And last year, he started slow and finished. He finished well, but he started slow last year as well. And between round 11 and 19 last year, he had a three-round average, rolling average of 80 the whole time. So he seems to really hit his straps um, just at, right at that first buy run and then all the way through to the, the end of the buys. So what I might do is just hope that he starts going slow again. And my strategy with him might be just to pick him up in around the same price or maybe just a little bit lower around that sort of round round 12 mark and hope he goes on his um, on his tear based on the numbers from the last couple of years and hope he picks it back up to 75, 80 there. You happy with that? Yeah, I think that's a great strategy and it's a really, really good point and good advice for everyone listening. For feeders probably a great guy to target as a later trade-in. And I think I'm going to do exactly the same thing as you, Billy. I think that he'll probably um, go down a bit. He did it to me last year. I, when I started with him, I, I was happy enough to pay the money. And then I saw all these guys that we know, especially waiting and waiting and waiting and then just grabbing him for a 100K discount. And I just thought, oh, I really didn't need to start with him for his 55 points he was throwing in at the time. So I'm going to wait. The other thing too that's good about waiting is he is a forward that is affected a little bit by draw. He tends to like to beat up on the lesser teams um, and he gets those good attacking stacks and TBs and offloads and stuff. And um, they don't have a great draw to start with. I don't particularly like it much. He's got the Cowboys, the Dragons, Para, Melbourne, Roosters, Dragons again for his first six weeks, and then Penrith, and then he hits the Gold Coast. Um, I'd probably want to try and get him in for that Gold Coast game, I think. And by then, I think that he would probably have a couple of price drops, so it looks like it'll be pretty opportune trading time around then. All the guys that he's playing to start off with, they are all got pretty good forward packs, and I don't think any of them concede too many um, attacking stats to forwards. So I can't say to anybody who's got him in their side, it's a bad move, particularly because if I had the money, I'd probably try and get him in as well. But I think it's a better move myself just to wait, and that's what I'm going to do with my team. Depends on his minutes, though, dude. Um, just I had a quick look while you were talking then. Um, you said that you scored pretty well versus uh, lower things, but last year he scored versus Newcastle, 53, Gold Coast, 57, Tigers, 63, Gold Coast, he picked it up to a 74 then. Warriors, he scored 52. Canberra, he scored 52. Then Newcastle, he scored 82. So I'm not sure about the consistency scoring big versus uh, lower-ranked teams. I'm probably more thinking from his better seasons, to be honest, um, when he's had those big scoring outputs. But having said that, some of that will be linked to Billy to when um, when he played those teams. I mean, if he the start of last year, he was a bit fat and unfit like he is sometimes so if he played like a Tigers to start off I wouldn't have expected a great score I guess and that's the other thing his fitness as well it's just it's like you said the consistency is all over the shop isn't it 
Yeah, there you go. He scored 103 versus Gold Coast the year before, round 17. So that was his biggest score for that year. So, yeah, maybe. I'd just get, look, he's not the prettiest bloke in the world, but I'll tell you what, when he started doing that crab walk and tackle busting in the last sort of five, uh, three to five minutes for 15, 16, 17 point helps, you really do want to kiss him there, don't you? Oh, I love those. Like, he, he gets those 27 point runs sometimes, and it's just fantastic. Like a slow version of Rapana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are quite similar in that regard. I don't think that. Um, he scored very many tries last year or had many much attack either, which was one of the things that I was looking at. Yeah, just one try and two assists, mate. Yeah, so that's really low for him because he normally has a bit more than that. That's where the upside's at, and I dare say that that's where some of his drop-off from 72 to 64 in the same amount of minutes has gone, is um, that drop in his attack. So I think we both agree he's a wait and see. The only other thing I'll throw out there is the reason that he seems to start well not quite halfway through the season is because he seems to get a rocket that he might not make the Origin team. And it scarily coincides with Origin selection being spoken about that he uh, decides to actually start playing a lot better. So he might be one of those guys that needs that and um, that could make it hard to start with him. They do play round 13, the Sharkies, as well. So if he doesn't make Origin... Oh, that's the buy round, is it? Yeah, so round 13 is the first buy, and the Sharks do play that one against South, which is a pretty good matchup. Even if he even if he does make Origin around that sort of time, it seems like he hits round 10, round 11, and just pulls his finger out of his ass and just says, all right, I'm ready to rock now. Yeah, I think he's one of those old-school forwards that actually kind of like an Artie Beatson or something that, that doesn't like to train very much and just sort of his pre-season is that first four to eight weeks of the season. He gets himself into shape on the field. Seems to be the way he goes. Ah, oh, Fifi, I wish I could put you in my team, but um, no, I'm going to have to wait for Fafita. And Billy's going to as well. Anyone who wants to start with yep. him, don't think we can begrudge you. But we're going to move on. And we're going to move on to, I'm going to say, another guy in their forward pack that I'm going to say, I see it as a bit of an error. And I'm seeing a few questions pop up on different sites and things as well, asking about this guy. And I don't really want to go near Wade Graham whatsoever myself. I actually like him as a player. And he had a really good year last year, actually. But 531700 that's quite a big price point. Average 60 a game in 2017, 56 the year before, 60 and 61 the two years before that. He's a pretty solid type of character. But one thing that I don't like, and this is where I think that stats kind of lie a little bit, and you can kind of jump in after... I give you this little tirade about why I don't like some stats, Billy. Wade Graham had a couple of really big games last year. Like I think it was against St. George where he might have scored close to 150 points where he got a hat trick. Canberra. It was Canberra, was it? Yeah. He just blew up after that game. I remember so many guys trading him in just to make the cash. And he was better than a cash cow because they just wanted to get that, try and get that quick 100K and, and then dump and run. And he, those sort of guys, it's great when you've got them and you get that 150 points. But I've said it before, his 60 is sort of a bit of a hollow 60 for a forward for me, for someone to chuck in your back row because those 150-point um, outings and those big games that he has, it kind of gets him to that 60 average. But it means that he's got a lot of other games as well, which aren't very inspiring for the price that you're paying. You know, I don't want to get a 45, 50-point game from someone I'm paying 530K to just because in a few weeks I might get 140. So I, I kind of don't like how the stats make him look so consistent at 60-odd points a game. And I just think that there's so much better value at 530K. The second row forward for 2018, it's so stacked with guys that you can put in. But I'm seeing quite a few questions about Wade Graham. Have you looked into his stats at all or, or thought about him at all? Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't really thought about him, but I looked into his stats. He scored a... What you've got to add there is for transparency is that he scored... the. the 16 in the round after that, and only 39 minutes. So he had a, he had an injury-affected game. That was the St. George game after round two, 150 versus camera. And at the end of the season, he had a 40-minute game and a 20-minute game for a 27 and a 14 score. So you could take those two out of the those three out of out of the equation. His average went up to 66.7. So that might be why. Fair few people are looking at him. Just for interest's sake, if you take that 154 out, you know, standard deviation, no, sorry, not standard deviation, so if you take that 154 out, it goes back to 61.6 though. So look, the guy, the guy's going to give you 60. It would be nice if he was one of those uh, Manu Mao type blokes who was available at centre three quarter, but he's not. So you're going to have to bank on him being healthy, playing 80 the whole year round and maybe grabbing two or three tons. So advice there would be have a look at his run and see if you can fit the game where he's going to play against, uh, I don't know, whoever you think he's going to score well, whether it's 
Tigers, Gold Coast, Raiders, or find a decent draw of three out of five teams maybe, and that might be the time to pick him up if you really, really want him. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely not a round one buy, and I'd I'd probably, you know, I said with Fafita, he's not going to be in my side, but I wouldn't advise anyone not to have him if they really want him because he's good, but... I just I don't I would advise anyone not to have Wade Graham just because of the amount of other Fords there are. So like just to wrap up the Wade Graham talk because we don't need to spend too long on him. But um you know, other guys around the same price point, you've got Merrin's gonna be fifteen, sixteen K less than what he is. For thirty K more or something, I think you've got a Papali. For forty K more you've got a Nathan Brown. And for a, the same sort of price or even less, you've got a, a Boyd Cordner. Just the quality of these second rowers that you can have instead, it's just far better than what Wade Graham gives you. So I really don't think anyone should be looking at him for round one. By all means, wait for the season to start, like Billy said, and and have a crack at him when you think that maybe he's gone down a little bit or he's going to hit some form. But like we said earlier, the draw isn't great either. So, I mean, he doesn't really have any great attacking games that he's going to hit until he gets to that sort of round seven, round eight mark. So I'm seeing him asked about a lot and I'd be going elsewhere. But we'll move on to the back line, Billy. So one of the one of the recent guns to go across to the Sharkies is uh, Matty Moylan, who's basically traded places with James Maloney. And I'm a guy who got completely burnt by Matty Moylan last year because I jumped on him for a good run. And he was putting up, um, you'll probably know this better than me, Billy, being the stat man, but um, he had a really good run where he's putting up like 80, 90 points for a few weeks in a row at least, and he just looked phenomenal. And I um, I, I got him in, and then he just started stinking up the place so badly, and I couldn't get rid of him. It's because you got him in when he played the Warriors, um, Newcastle, Bulldogs, and Canberra, and then he played Cowboys, Manly, Souths. <laughs> what do you think was going to happen? Well, against Souths, I'll tell you what, I thought he was going to score 100 points. <laughs> I didn't think Souths were rolling that well last year. I, I was actually pretty happy with that. But yeah, I mean... He really had some bad runs, and he's probably um, Sean Johnson gets called the roller coaster. I, I think just quietly, Matty Moylan's got a bit of roller coaster in him. That's for sure. So I'll rattle off uh, his averages and then hand over to you, Billy. He um, he averaged the lowest score in three years in 2017 at 59, 63, and 61 before that. So you know it's not a huge difference, and he's priced at 526,000. So. Yeah, my big question mark is the consistency. He is available at fullback and 5'8", which is kind of handy in a way, but also not handy in that there's so many good combo of other gun 5'8s, fullbacks, and also cheap fullbacks and cheap 5'8s that people want to put in their sides. So it makes it hard, but, I mean, he could be a pretty good potish gun to get back into the 60s, oh, yeah. do you think? Yeah, sure. He's got some numbers there. I mean, the other thing too, Billy, is he's going to add... What do you think for kicking? I mean, at the moment, if he gets the kicking, which it seems like it, it might be a decent chance, and say that adds eight points a game to his score, his 59 will go up to a 67 if he Let's can do the same thing. And give him six, two conversions and a miss that for a 66% rate. I think that's kind of fair. So add six points per game. Just for giggles, I think he, I'm just going off the NRL stats side here. So from around 13, that's when he's listed as wearing the six jersey. And he, he rattled off a uh, 100, a 96, a 43, a 61, then a 41. So during those five games, his first five games at the 5.8, he averaged 68.2. But then he played 64 minutes only versus the Gold Coast for some reason and scored a 42. So you'd think he's averaged in the last 15 minutes of that game when the forwards are tired, it would have gone climbed back up to... 60 plus and in the last game of the season he played 80 minutes and only scored 19 for some reason maybe he was disinterested then look so his average all up in the six jersey last year was, was sort of 57.4 but if you take those that lower minute game out and that last one where i don't know i don't know what the hell happened there he um, did his hamstring for 68 i uh, did he uh, uh okay so if you take those out it is a very very small pool of numbers so even if you strip that back sort of 15 20 percent and say he's only got a 55 average if you add six points for a goal you know you're going to get a 61 average out of him i mean in my opinion so there's plenty of um upside there there for him the one question i have i haven't i haven't looked at this is he available at six and one surely or just six he's six and one so yeah, it's so. a couple of different options for you. Yeah, so for those that don't want to go for um, Milford or Munster or want something different to JT or I don't know, if you just want a different player or a pod, like it, he's definitely an option. I would only grab him if he's kind of kicking goals, but yeah, looks like he's got some merit there. Yeah, I actually thought about him um, 
if he is kicking goals. I've got Milford at number six at the moment, and I actually toyed with the idea of putting Moylan in to save the Milford money and put that elsewhere because I was trying to get another guy in, and that was a maybe an option I was looking at. I'll tell you, I was actually kind of close to doing it, but the thing that turned me off was the draw. I just didn't think he was going to get the attack to start the year. Otherwise, I might have been swayed. And the reason that I was being swayed, I'll give you a couple of non-stat points that was really eating at me to maybe think about having him on my side. The first thing is obviously going to be the goal kicking. So the more and more it looked like he might get the goal kicking, the more interested I was. The second thing, though, which I think is really important, is his fit in the Sharks team. So Chad Townsend's a, a decent halfback, but he's not the best halfback in the league by a long shot. And he's also a guy that um, I sort of see as playing a bit second fiddle. Um, he's certainly not going to be a dominant alpha half, I guess. Maloney can certainly call the shots and stuff when he was in that Sharks team and get the ball when he wanted and, and kind of pull the strings where he needed to to run that attack. So I kind of thought that it might be appealing with Matthew Moylan going in to be next to Chad Townsend in the halves because of that factor that Townsend isn't going to overplay things and Moylan might actually get some seniority very quick to be a bit of an alpha there. The thing that drew me back a little bit on that, though, was that, well, Matty Moylan's always been more of a runner of the football and more of an attacking guy. And maybe you're throwing those cutout passes a la Jared Hayne a few years ago with the no look and all that sort of stuff and be a bit flashy. But for the most part, he doesn't really organise a team that much. But if he could sort of get that a little bit and take the reins as the alpha half there, I was kind of excited at what might happen, particularly with a few of the attacking weapons that the Sharkies have there. Josh Dugan coming over for one and Aaron Gray giving them a bit of speed out wide. Katoa on the wing could give them some nice speed as well. So Is he going to be playing both sides of the field, though, or just left? No, he won't play both sides. Townsend will be on one, and he'll just, Moylan will stick to his normal. Dugan, Dugan's on the right, so he won't get won't be anywhere near him. The other, the only other thing to sort of think about is, um, I just thought of this, so Maloney was a player that had some decent scores in, in his heyday. I think he had 181 one year. He generally has, he always seemed to have a 150 or a 150 type score every year. When he was with the Chooks, maybe because he had um, Pierce on one side and he was on the other side, they were a dominant team and he just had, um, was it the, the one dominant playmaker? So there was more of a chance for him to get the ball when opposition were focusing on, on either side of the ruck. Maybe when he moved over to the Sharks, there was everyone knew he was going to be the first receiver at, at the opposition sort of 20 in, so maybe there was more focus, more pressure on him. He didn't seem to have any large scoring games at the Sharks, so maybe it's the same type of uh, pressure that Mullen um, can, can probably expect over there. Yeah, he might get that bit of pressure on him. That's a pretty good point. I guess the difference, though, is that Moylan's coming over in his prime in his mid-20s and Maloney came over a bit older, um, and I think that that is a bit of a cause for concern with the difference between the two of them maybe but yeah you could be right it might even take him a little while to fit into the side too I'm also looking at him from a mental standpoint going he's been bashed up pretty badly in the press and stuff the last couple of years was basically out of the team at Penrith at one point you know and even now um, I watched NRL 360 the other night and the Panthers boys were being asked point blank by PK on there is this a coaching problem because Matty Moylan wasn't getting along with the coach and then they kind of alluded to, oh, well, you know, it's basically behaviour off the field as well as on the field with Hook and, and all that sort of stuff. And he's not come out in the best light the last year. And he's changed clubs and he's a Penrith boy. And I think that he might have something to prove that he ended up sort of half getting run out of Penrith as well. So I don't know, maybe he comes out firing and he's really fired up. But for me, Billy, I think that the draw, I'm really intrigued by him. I'd love to get him to catch him on a really good run. But I don't think that run's going to be from round one for me. No, kind of agree. All right, so it's a wait and see for Matty Moylan. I'm not going to touch on everyone in the Sharks side because they've got a few good ones to talk about as far as cheapies. I will say that Katoa, I would have him in my side for sure, even if he's not named round one and you need a Nuffy. He's a good one to have that might play down the track. I'm going to start him. Yeah, oh, if he plays, I'll start him if he plays in some games for sure. But I I mean, are you, gonna, are you like me where even if he's not named round one, and you need an extra cheap guy, is he a guy that you'd be happy to throw in there? A guy I'd be happy to throw in there, yeah. Also, out of desperation, I'll be throwing him in there. <laughs> I need a fair few, mate. I've uh, stacked in a number of positions um, using every single dollar, so I um, I need to uh, 
do two things. A, pray for enough cheapies to, to prop me up and B, before game day, have a good hard look at my team and go, all right, do I actually have enough mid-strength depth in case I have an injury because I'm absolutely gun-heavy and, and, and cheapies thin. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. So a bit of a fallen gun that we might finish up on for the Sharkies is a guy that I mentioned that's come across to give them a bit of extra attack at times maybe is Josh Dugan, who's going to be playing in the centres for them. So Dugan, I used to, I remember when I first started playing Supercoach more seriously a number of years ago. Before that, I, I loved Josh Dugan in his young Canberra days at fullback in some of the other fantasy games and stuff that I was playing. And I loved having him at the beginning of Supercoach. He was one of my first picks when I um, first started off getting serious. And that was because he had all those tackle breaks and great attack and everything. He's obviously moved on in a lot of different ways since. Um, so 2014, in the last four years, was his last big season where he averaged 65 and he was a definitive gun. He went down a bit three years after that, 58, 56 and 59 last season. So a little bit shy off being a real genuine gun, but he certainly was before those those three years. And subsequently, he's coming in at a price of only 522000 He definitely had his attack fall off a little bit. And I think that it's been well documented how, um, I guess, poorly at being a ball player Josh Dugan is. So his assists and everything are that flash. Playing at centre, though, he did get his tackles up and he did seem to be a bit of a strike weapon for the Dragons. The Sharks, I've said forever in a day living in the Shire, spend way too much money on forwards and needed to get a strike centre because they always... For a while now, I've had these centers like Latelli who are really solid but aren't going to give you very much really. And they just really needed that strike out wide. And I feel like they got it in Dugan and they might throw the ball out there a little bit. Have you had Dugan much in the past, Billy, like me? Nah, I didn't touch him last year. Not interested this year. A couple of years before that, I think I've kind of had him from time to time. Only, only when he was playing fullback though, wasn't really interested in him out, out in the centre three quarter. Especially when you look at him play, and every time he takes a hit up, he seems to get up slowly, hold something, and play the ball. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Maloney's left left his bicep pads behind him and get some put some extra protection on there, get up a bit quicker and play the ball, move on. I don't know. He's just not in my team, mate. I'm not not really interested in him. Yeah, and look, the the injury stuff is something I was going to raise, but yeah, he even the other day there was. A quick report on Twitter while they were playing his trial that, oh, no, Josh Dugan might have broken his jaw. And it's like, oh, man, every single time the guy takes the field, there's, there's something wrong with him. And then the funny thing is that it's, it's, none of them end up being serious. He ends up getting up and playing again or only missing a week or something. It's crazy how quickly he almost it looks like he's going to be six weeks and he doesn't. The only thing I can add there is maybe show that's not the right word, but I've got a couple of mates like this. They could be tough as nails, but then they get hit by a ball. They go down. It's not like, it's almost like they want people to know that they're injured, but they're going to get up and carry on. So it might be just a pride thing that, that he's hurt. It might just be like a little bit of a pinch and he just takes his time getting up to play the ball. But it looks like, oh, here we go. Dugan, Dugan's injured again. He's going to take three weeks off. And before you know it, the magic waters probably comes out and it's fine. He's even come out in the press before and said, I think he only said this a couple of months ago, that he doesn't really like this injury prone tag and if you point to all these games he doesn't seem to miss many well get up off the ground mate stop sitting there injured all the time (laughs) stop making guys tweet that you might have a broken jaw because you're talking to the trainer doing a broken jaw test and keep playing the game (laughs) like Hayne does the same thing mate he'll grab the ball run 90 meters down the field there'll be two blokes in front of him half the team's behind him screaming for the ball to get over the line yet you roll over, it takes 10 minutes to get up, roll it between his legs. Before you know it, the defensive line's formed again. It's just one of those headspace type things, I reckon. But Hayne does it to get a breather, see? Hayne's, Hayne's smart about it. Hayne just wants to have a little bludge. <laughs> it's easy to say that sitting behind a computer at home, isn't it? But <laughs> maybe he's really injured. I, I, I can't say it, mate. I, I just look at it and think, well, not for me, that's all. Yeah, I mean, his games, 17 games in 17, 17 the year before, 21 and 18, so... His games could actually be a lot worse, but he's still missing like, you know, 10 games a season or something on average. So, yeah, he's not for me, and he's not for me with that draw. But he would be one that I I wouldn't be surprised if he actually does bust out a little bit for the Sharks. Um, I don't like the fact that he got got kicked out of an RSL at Cronulla just the other day, and he's already on the booze and stuff in Cronulla. That's not a good sign. But, um, look, I I wouldn't be surprised. I actually quite like Dugan. And um, if someone could catch him for a good run or as a pod, he could be an interesting pod. I'll let you know too, Billy. He's full back and centre wing, so he's got that dual position flexibility, which is nice. And he plays round 13, and he probably won't be in the Origin team this year, I don't think. Really? Yep. 
I don't think he'll get picked. I don't think Fitler will pick him. I think he'll move on with some of the youth and everything that's coming through now. Like you got guys like Turbo and Teddy and stuff. Like I think they've got enough there now. Those guys aren't going to play centre, but Turbo might. Turbo played a bit of centre for Australia. So I mean, did he? Yeah. Did he put size on, or he's a pretty big guy. Turbo's got the the size to do it for sure. So um, and he's done it before in some of the rep teams. So well, okay, fair enough. Well, if that means if that means getting Turbo into the Origin team as well as Teddy, as well as Hain, as well as all our backs apart from any decent halves. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's around one no, but I, I, I think that he's an interesting one. Uh, my strategy is on my watch list. I'm going to be watching him for round 13 trade-in to play that buy round where he plays South, and then he backs that up playing the Tigers, which will be a nice, interesting 13-14 combo, and hopefully his price is pretty juicy by then. So let's move on from Josh Dugan. And let's, in fact, I think move on from the Sharkies, yeah. So we're going to go and talk about my team now, Billy. I get my time in the sun here. We're going to talk about the Sydney Roosters. Well, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, from a fan point of view, I can see why, mate. Yeah, look, there's a lot to talk about with the Roosters. I'm going to save my money for Sonny Bill. Save your money for Sonny Bill. I wonder what he'll be priced at for his five games he'll get to play for us. Right, well, it's a bit hard to tell which guy we're going to start off on, but... I'm going to go with the the new kid on the block. But before I do that, I'll quickly run through a few of the key ins and outs for the Roosters. So the big ins are pretty well publicised anyway. Cooper Cronk coming across was a massive one, as was Tedesco coming in for the Roosters too at fullback now and starting. They were the two biggest ones. Frank Paul Newasala has just been signed as well. So he's another one that might squeeze his way in. Other than that, Reese Robertson came in for a bit of a backup minutes in New South Wales Cup. Losses, they lost quite a bit as well, which no one seems to like to talk about with the Roosters. They only like to talk about the guys that they buy. Paul Carter got released last year. Kane Evans went over to the Eels. Michael Gordon went over the Gold Coast Titans. Aidan Guerra, Sean Kenny Dow over to the Newcastle Knights, along with Mitchell Pearce and Connor Watson too. So they lost... Quite a bit of, I guess, that old Roosters arm that's been around for a number of years now and replaced it mainly with Cronk and Tedesco, really. But let's start off with Tedesco because I um, had him as one of the first picked in my team for a few reasons. Firstly, he, he did have a little bit of a down year by his standards at times last year. I think it's pretty well publicized how many times he really should have scored a try that he didn't actually get a try. And I had a bit of a theory about that, actually. I, I think it's... I think that if he was in a better team than the Tigers, he would have gotten a lot of those tries because when you're watching them, he gets the ball and he has to beat six or seven guys, You know, do a run around, do a chip and chase, regather, run another 30 metres. He's basically a one-man band over there and I'd be buggered trying to put the ball down too if I got over the try line after all that. At the Roosters, I feel like he's just half of that work's going to be done for him by the guys around him and everything and he's going to convert a lot of those tries. So he actually had a 68 average per game, which shows how good the guy is when I say he had a bit of a down year and he still scored 68 a game. 2016, he averaged 70 points. 2015, he averaged 74. And before that, he was back at 68. Those 70s are certainly more what we're used to him doing. So I sort of see him as a little bit underpriced, even at just a shade under 600K. So I see him as real value. And then here's the kickability. This is what everybody should be looking at. Tedesco... Round one, plays the Tigers. You could not script a Hollywood film any better than that. Playing against the Tigers, round one, he will absolutely carve them up. He he might be a really sly, straight captain off the bat just to give it to him on his first game against his old club. And then the Roosters have a really nice draw after that. They have they play the Bulldogs and the Knights both at home and the Warriors at home. So that, that Tigers round one and Warriors round four is absolute gold. Bit of a tougher one away against the Sharks, but then, oh, look, back at home against Souths. So they've got four out of their first six at home. Then they get the Dogs again and then the Dragons. And then they get the Warriors a couple of rounds later. So within their first 12 games, so the first sort of half of the season, oh, sorry, the first 13 games, they play the Tigers twice, they play the Warriors twice, and they play the Titans once. So that's five out of 13 games against who we sort of see as probably the best teams to stack your team against for Supercoach. So, I mean, they got a really nice draw. So Tedesco is definitely in my side. He's not moving for that price and the potential that he's got. I imagine he's in your side as well, starting fullback too, Billy. Yeah, sure is, mate. 
I think is in a lot of fullback, a lot of people's teams as a fullback. One of the although he didn't have a Teddy type year last year compared to his previous years, he still went pretty well. He scored his standard a couple of scores over 120. One of the interesting stats is, apart from being at the Chooks and having an easier run, his first round last year he scored 126. The previous year. 2016 uh, round wasn't it, round one. He scored 82. Round two was 157. He actually averaged 87 for the first five rounds in 2016. If you go back to 2016, he had sorry 2015. He had a couple of those large large ton type scores, and where it was at round two, he scored 95 there too. So seems to be pretty consistent. We're getting a ton or a decent sized score in the first couple of rounds. The fact that he's going against his old club he's with the Roosters that has a decent run can't see any, many people missing out on him. So for me, he's probably captain material very, very quickly or VC material if he can. And you've got enoughy on the bench that you want to that you want to roll with. The um the only thing I'll say against that is if you don't want to go with Teddy and you want a pod Turbo, pretty much is an option. He's pretty much priced at his peak you would think but he also has a, a half decent run so if you want to go the the, the dual gun the dual guns at the back and move someone like watson up to five eight that's probably a decent strategy but if you're going to pick one gun it's that 50 50 call isn't it you want you want to get the right bloke but both of them are pretty pretty solid don't they yeah they do i guess um for me turbo is almost eighty thousand dollars more than teddy so that's a big kick like 80 grand to put somewhere else to me it's a no-brainer but the thing that Turbo actually has going for him is, at the moment, Turbo's owned by 18.1% of teams. But uh, Teddy, you want to have a guess at what his ownership is? Close, just under 42%. So pretty close to one in two teams already have Teddy. So, I mean, I think that's probably the only drawback for Teddy. That I don't think that he can start really badly, to be honest. But if he were, then you could get a leg up on a lot of the competition if you can... Um, avoid having him and get some good scores elsewhere. Or if you go for Turbo and you think you can still balance your side out well, at 18%, he's definitely the more pod out of the two, more than half, less than half the ownership than what Teddy does. So Just got to ask yourself one question. Which one would you more scared? Would you be more scared shitless for not having having Teddy or Turbo? Teddy for me. Oh, Teddy for me too, mate. And look, the other thing too is that I keep coming back to that price, but... Tedesco at 599000 he might not be that price to pick up any time in the near future. So you could have one of those Rapana moments from the last couple of years where you go, oh, I'll pick him up when he drops, and then he just doesn't drop, and he keeps throwing these scores out, and you just go, wow, I've got to get him in somehow. And then you end up overpaying for what you could have had him at from round one. So whereas Turbo's the opposite. Turbo you know, is a guy that you could go, look, I'm going to wait, and I probably will pick him up cheaper compared to Teddy in the next three or four weeks into the season after we start to get some drops happening. Turbo's weird. He, he just seems like he's disinterested and he's so relaxed. He sits out the back and doesn't really do much. But then you, you see him watching the game and he, just, and he just pops up in the middle of nowhere and just the, the points just keep coming. Whereas Teddy, you, you can see him. It seems, it seems like he's he's ready to go at, at any given point in time. They just look like totally different players but have the same type of output. It's, it's really good to watch. Yeah. Look, I think we'll move on from Teddy. I think we both have gushed over him for long enough. I think that he's the number one fullback to pick based on everything put together. Price, scores, draw, he's really got it all. So he's a great one to start with. He's going to be, I think he's going to have a better season for sure. Let's talk about another gun in the Roosters side. And this guy's just re-signed for, I think, four more years, which is awesome to get him for another four years. And that's Boyd Cordner. He's one of my favorite forwards in the competition. He's obviously had that combination with Pierce for a while though where he's been pretty adept at running that line and um, Pierce hitting him with those short balls, which has put him over for some nice tries. Pierce isn't there anymore, and I've seen a few guys bring that up to say, oh, I don't think he's going to get the scoring stats that he was getting before, so I'm a bit worried about that. And I've said to every one of them, I love Mitchell Pierce as a Roosters fan, and I think he's underrated, but under no illusion that how good Cooper Cronk is. And you can just have to look at what Cooper Cronk did to... Uh, Kafuzi at the Storm last season, he turned him into a try-scoring, line-breaking weapon, and he was going over everywhere. So, I mean, I probably only see upside from those little pet plays and the lines that Cordner runs by being able to go off someone like Cooper Cronk. Cordner's on the left, but Kafuzi was right next on on Cronk's hip on the right, but how much extra involvement do you think Cordner's going to have with Cronk? I know he's going to move a bit. Well, I'm wondering whether they're going to actually change sides, and I, I'm not sure. I'm just speculating. 
I need to look more into it, but there has been some talk around the traps that they might actually change sides where they're going to be, which would have Cordner running off Kronk. I'd much prefer that, obviously, but yeah, depends what I happens. I would too. Unless that happens, I'm not interested in him at all, even as a pod. Like, yeah. He had um, one, two, and he had four games where he scored a try last year. One of them was a double, so that's kind of picked him up a fair bit. Without those tries, he averaged 57.7, so he's going to score them again. You can't say, oh, I'm not picking him because he only averaged 60 without a try. I mean, fair go. The guy's going to get those attacking stats. Just got to ask yourself, how many do you think he's going to get? They've got a really easy run, so I kind of see the outside backs like your Tupu and your Teddies and a couple of edges maybe getting one here and there. But I just think he's, even with 80 minutes, he, minutes he's probably a bit too plain for me to pick up, especially at that price. I want a guy at that price who's going to potentially score a ton, and I don't see him doing it. Yeah, well, this is going to be one of those good moments where I get to disagree with you a little bit, and it's going to be nice and fun. So I'll tell you why I disagree with you a little bit. All right, go. All right, so 2017, had a fair few injuries he was picking up. He only played 16 games, and some of those games that he played in, he was really carrying them. The year before, he had, only had 12 games. So the last two years in particular, a lot of his attacks been limited just by the amount of games he's played in, and also the amount of games that he's played in where he's actually been hurt anyway, and he's been carrying it. So that's the big asterisk for me as far as his attack goes. Along with that, Cordner seems to love playing the West Tigers from memory. I remember captaining him at least... A couple of occasions the last few years and I, I think I remember in particular the season before last ribbing Perso the week before saying I've traded in Boyd Cordner this week just because he's playing your Tigers and I captained him and he scored a double when he had 125 points or something and it was gold. He starts off with the Tigers first up which could be really interesting. So also think in the leadership role that he's got now provided he's healthy the health and the leadership and the guys around him that are coming to the team I can see him going back to that form where he's averaging more like 70 points, which he did do in 2016. He had a 70-point average in 16 before he went to a 63 in 2017. So I can see a bit of upside there. So that's kind of why I might disagree a little bit. Part of that's draw, part of that's health, part of that's more of a leadership role in him maturing. But one thing I will agree with you with, though, is I am um, I do get a bit annoyed with Boyd Cordner about his meat and potatoes stuff. He does some good work, but he doesn't look to offload enough. Like the guy could offload a lot more than what he does. And in, initially when he was coming through as a young fellow, he did offload a little bit. He doesn't offload at all, so that's a little bit of a concern. And his um, TBs aren't where they probably could be either. So. so that year when he averaged 70, he only had three offloads that season. And if you take out, if you only include his 80-minute games and st- and take the injury-effective ones out, that you really liked him. 2016, he averaged 74 with four tries. So, yeah, it has the potential to get up. So I see why you like him. Yeah, and 559,000. I guess the other thing too is that we were talking about Wade Graham before at 531,000. You know, this Boyd Court is 29 grand more than Wade Graham. And to me, he's 100% a better option. So that's the other thing too. At, at his price point, he's 110,000 less than Jake Trevojevic, for instance. That's another one. So he is cheaper than some of those top shelf guys. I guess the other thing too is that he's going to be a pod. I don't think anyone's really picking him. So if you want a bit of a pod, I don't think I would talk anyone out of starting with him. If you want a quick grab at the West Tigers and the Dogs, Newcastle and the Warriors, you know, that isn't a bad start. Yeah, definitely an option. And a guy at his price too, if you really didn't like him after sort of three or four rounds, it's not like he's going to drop too much in price. If someone started going like a bat out of hell, like Murray, for instance, started screaming it, you could easily downgrade. But when you got the cash in a player, it's easy to go down. It's harder to go the other way because it's two trades with cashing someone out early who or not performing or injured, and then upgrading someone who might not have matured yet. So it could be that pot option with a get-out with a get out clause early, especially since we've got 37 trades this year. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point as well. People are going to be able to burn a few trades like that this year and be okay with it. Yeah, only price at 63. I, I see him as a pretty good round one starter. I actually had him in my side for a, about a week, and I had to move him out because I had this dream of like five gun second row forwards and one of them had to go. It was just not feasible for round one, so he was a guy I had to let go. So goodbye for everyone out there. If you want a pod and you want to take a, a bit of a punt, he could be a good starter. I think we'll we'll move on, and we'll chat about a guy who I think might be a little bit of an error 
in the Ford pack, and it's going to be a bit of a controversial one. Takiaho, a lot of guys are getting really excited about him. I remember the excitement from a few years ago because I really liked him coming onto the scene. The problem for me is that a lot of the reasons I liked him have kind of fallen off. You know when you get those players sometimes and they come on the scene and they run really, really hard and you take notice and they have some great tackle breaks and they run some good lines and they run through some line breaks and you just go, wow, this, this guy's just a powerhouse. He kind of dropped off a lot of that stuff. And, I mean, granted, he, he had a, um, a pretty bad knee injury that hampered him where he only played 15 games last year. But when he came on the scene, I just felt like he could do a lot of those tackle breaks and a lot of the, those barnstorming runs and even some offloads and run some good lines, and he just sort of stopped doing it. But I see a lot of guys with him in their in their sides and um, talking about him having the goal kicking and stuff. I don't see him as being the goal kicker yet either. I, In fact, in, in my projected Rooster side, I've got Isaac Liu starting at lock and um, Takiyaho off the bench. So I tend to think that that sways it to Latrell Mitchell being the goal kicker. And um, I don't think it worked too well either when they were swapping goal kickers during games and stuff. So if he's coming off the bench, I mean, I'm not really too high on him. And I, to be honest, even as a Roosters fan, I don't really see why that many people are into him. Are you a bit of a fan? Have you thought about him? Oh, no, not this year. In the past, I have, but... You can't kick goals from the bench, mate. So, no, if he was starting over um, over Louis in the middle and getting 60 minutes there as well as goal kicking, then, yeah, I can see I can see the interest for sure. But I think you might find um, a lot more reverse trading kind of starting when the team lists come out next Tuesday, mate. Yeah, even if he's starting at lock on TLT, I'd be really worried about how many minutes he's going to play because of Liu. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not really much of a fan for this year, I've got to, got to say. I just don't think he gets the... Um, the attack and everything that he needs. So I'd actually stay away from him, guys. I'm not big on him at all, but I've been wrong before plenty of times. So maybe I'll be wrong with him. But um, yeah, even if he's starting, he's, he is 423,000. So to be a bit positive about him, he's reasonably cheap. So if he ends up starting, you could throw in some worse guys at 423,000 if he's got a starting spot. But just quickly looking at his numbers, I mean, he averaged 48 points a game in 2017. Off only 44 minutes, okay, fine. Uh, 57 minutes a game in 2016, he got 55 points, and I think that's when people were taking notice. The thing to me, though, is that um, looking at the stats, Billy, one of the things that annoyed me with him is he seems to be one of those real solid guys that I hate to have that are going to give you like that 55 points, and you're just sitting there going, look, 55 is nice every week or 50 points, but I kind of want a lot more than that, and I want to hit some 65-point games and stuff, and he just doesn't give them to you. So that's, yeah, I'm pretty off him. Yeah, haven't gone anywhere near him. I think there's 12 other chooks that you could probably talk about. Yep, and you know, Ryan Madison's a young gun that's coming through that we, we won't go into in detail because he needs to really get a spot, but I think he's far more talented than Takiyaho and he can play either on the edge or in the middle because the guy's put on so much size. And forget about just Liu, who, who re-signed for a number of years and the Roosters have big wraps on. Madison is a, is a genuine gun and he, he can take minutes away from anyone in that pack as well. And at the moment, he's projected to be on the bench as well. So they've just got too many. That 11, 12, 13 jumper, they've just got too many good players in it. Yeah, I can see why they got rid of Guerrero. When you've got a guy like Madison coming through through ranks, you can quite easily take over Orbison. Then, yeah, there's plenty of edge spots on option there, mate. Yeah. So it's, I actually think that Corden is probably the only safe bet out of that back row to, to have out of the Roosters pack. I probably wouldn't be touching any of the rest until I see sort of how it unfolds. So let's talk about a bit of a pod, Billy. Going back to the back line, I've been a big, big fan in real life and in Supercoach of Anthony Tupu for a number of years now. And um, he's a guy that's uh, a winger. So, you know, a lot of the guys that have their rules about Supercoach will say, oh, I don't like putting a winger in. They, they don't do enough over on the wing. They're too up and down, relying on tries and whatever. Tupu's got a, um, a really good base for a winger. He does a lot of work. He's one of those guys that has... The mini Rapana potential, where he's got the tackle breaks going, he's got the high runs going, and he's got the um, offload going as well. So he can do a bit of everything whilst not scoring tries and getting line breaks. But he does get quite a few tries and opportunities at the Roosters as well. He's a guy that I have started as a pod myself. So going through the numbers, and then you can either tear me down or tell me that I've done a great job grabbing him as a pod. Could go either way on Tupo, depending on who I talk to. He got some really interesting reading that a lot of guys don't see. So average score a game in 2017, career high for Supercoach, 57 points a game. Before that, he's been basically a 50-point-per-game guy. 
But in 2016, even though he only had a 50 average, he really had a period where he upped his base and he just started running the ball a lot. And he got all this work rate through running and then all these extra points through tackle breaks. And then he just started offloading like a demon and then throwing in his attack and everything. It just led straight into 2017. So he had one of those good runs at the end of 2016 from memory. And then he brought that straight into the 2017 season. And if you get him at the right time too, he can just explode for a couple of centuries in a row back to back. So I really like Tupo. He's priced at 506000 and he's not owned by very many at all. And the other upside from 2017 is he was carrying that groin injury on two or three different occasions, which hampered his value as well. He either played lower minutes in a couple of games or he was really carrying it and not really 100% either. So big fan on Tupo. I think he's a great pod. And with that draw, I reckon I'll be going to sports bet before round one to put money on Tupo to score a double against the West Tigers for that first game as well. So I, I really like him. He's in my center wing. He's not going to be moving. So, Billy, am I crazy? No, not crazy. I'd kind of like to go with you. I can't do it, but just due to the makeup of my squad. But he's got a high floor. I'm not sure if it's higher than the year before. I think a couple of the lads pointed out that it has kind of increased over over, over the last couple of years. But scored 40 yep. without without a try last year in games where he did score a try. He averaged 70, 76.1. And he scored in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games out of a full season, whatever it was. So at 22, so he's got a decent strike rate. And the fact that he's got a, a decent early draw, I'm not calling you crazy. I think he's a very good option at his price. Just depends. I wouldn't call him a big balls pod. I think he's a very, very clever pod. Just depends on the makeup of your team and whether you want to carry that kind of coin in a, in, in a way of going into round one, that's all. Yeah, I think he's a clever pod as well. Um, I don't think it takes big balls to go with him either. So that kind of opens up into a good segue. Yeah, I, I'm pretty excited for Tupo, so I think that I'll stop talking about him now and we'll just uh, we'll just move straight on from him because I don't want too many people to get on him, to be honest. He's got low ownership as it is. So let's talk about the guy inside him. A lot more people are on Latrell Mitchell and he's obviously had a bit of a breakout year last year, consistently playing first grade in the centres for the Roosters. He's actually someone who, funnily enough, no one's on Tupo, but everyone's on Mitchell, it seems, or at least talking or thinking about him. And I'm not really that interested in Mitchell compared to everyone else. If he gets a goal kicking, I'll look at him a lot harder and consider him a lot more. But he averaged 54 a game last year. It was a very tumultuous 54 for me. It was a bit of a roller coaster. He'd have some games where he'd have some really low scores, like a 15 was his low score last year. And other games where he'd tear it up with 103, which was his high score. So... He's a bit rocks and diamonds. People don't like any wingers in their center wing because they think they don't have a very good work rate. Latrell Mitchell's a guy who has games where he'll run the ball five or six times. So it um it's really not appealing for me to risk that for round one, even though he could carve up and put some egg on my face. No, you're telling me. I just can't pick a guy that scored 23 in his second last game of the season and then a 37 with a try versus the Titans. <laughs> just look at those two stats alone and think, no way. Kick, he can kick all he wants. I, his floor is just way too low for my liking. Look, you've got to respect the fact that he might be kicking and he has a decent draw, so he could go ballistic, but the fact that he's high fluck and has a very low floor, I think he'll come, even if he did have a great draw and score a double in a, in a couple of games, I think he'll come right back to earth and just give you exactly what you pay for. Yeah, I'm pretty much exactly the same boat. And I can see him having those big games. Like I can see a lot of people saying round one, I told you so, after he scores 100 points against the, the West Tigers. The problem with that is, though, that the next week he could score 25 against the Bulldogs. Like he did last year. Scored 103 the first game last year versus the Titans and scored 26 versus the Bulldogs. Yeah, I remember him doing that. And that's what I'm so scared of. The other thing, too, is with these low work rate centers, his points come from running the ball because he gets some good tackle breaks, some good offloads, and some good attack. And if he has those games where he doesn't run the ball much, he just don't have much chance. And he has games like that one where he scored 37 points with a try, and you just think, wow, like, how can that even happen? And I just think he's, he's fours. You've got him versus Tupo, right? And on one hand, you've got Tupo, whose floor is quite high and can still give you 100 points in a game. On the other hand, you've got Latrell Mitchell, who has this really low floor, and can score you 120 points a game. I just don't see why 
people gravitate towards Mitchell instead of Tupo unless he does get the goal kicking. Yeah, he's got, he's got some decent scores, especially versus the Tigers. He's got a, a high sort of um, tackle bust and, and line break count, so could go very well first round. After that, you never, it's kind of rocks and diamonds again, I think. Just that punt you've got to take if you think he's going to take off. Not for me, but... Yeah, I agree 100%. So I think he's a good watch, and he is someone as well, because of his age, he might get a little bit better. Um, so that's why he's a good watch. So let's move on. Just to finish up the Roosters, potential gun pod left field probably takes pretty big balls for this one. Cooper Cronk hasn't been particularly super coach relevant for much of the past. Have you had much of a look at, at Cronk? Yeah, I have. But that was only at the advice of someone else saying to check his stats from the year before. I don't really want him in my team, especially in that position for SC reasons. But if you go back and have a look at his stats from the year before, I think he's actually down around sort of 10 points on his storm average. So an option if you want a pod. Yeah, so the way his numbers look, 444000 So he's reasonably cheap. But that's because he's priced at a 50 average in 17. But 59 points in 2016... 49 points a game in 2015 and 58 points in 2014. So he seems to go up and down from 60 to 50 each year. If you go on patterns and you like patterns, this is meant to be the year where he does 60 again. I mean, he'll support I don't like patterns at all. The bottom eight every season. Yeah, well, I, I've actually looked at him a little bit, mainly because he is only priced at 444000 And going into the Roosters' side, I do kind of see him as a guy who's really competitive. So I think that he's going to have a point to prove and he's going to want to show that he can come into a, a new team for the first time in his career and take him towards a grand final. And he does have a lot of potency around him like we've spoken about. So I think he's got absolutely everything there for him to have a season where at worst he's going to give you that 59, 60 points, which is 9, 10 points better than what he's priced at. So that's not too bad. Yeah, I'd just rather a bloke who's going to give me a lot more than that. If I, I don't think he's the type of bloke who's going to score one twenty, one thirty for you. So he's not really that captain material. If he was priced at fifty and going to maybe score sixty, available at centre three quarter or or in, in the forwards, then yeah, you could make a case for him. But you really don't want to waste that type of space in the halves. So for that reason, it's not for me. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, so Billy Cooper Cronk's a, a no for you. I like him and have thought about him, but he's he's probably a no for me. But if someone wants to take the punt. Yeah, you could do worse. Was there any other guys in the Roosters lineup, Billy, that sort of caught your attention that you wanted to throw us through a few stats in about? Yeah, not so much caught my attention, but obviously thought about purely because of their run and, and the amount of strike power that they've got. I won't have him in my team, but I really, really look closely at the right. So Orbison, if he's playing decent minutes on, on the right edge, then he's got a very high floor. I think he's one of the highest highest floor type guys you could have available in the center three quarter. So if um, Cooper Cronk does to him what he did to um, uh, Kafusi in, in, at the Storm last year, he, he could have a decent scoring center three quarter available for you at a cheap price. I can't really make a case for Manu, whatever his name is, at, at the center, but you could possibly take a look at a uh, Ferguson, he might do something on, on, on the right on the right wing. I haven't really looked too much into his numbers, but if you wanted a medium price kind of pod, you could look at him maybe going over a couple of times off Cronk in those early type of runs. And I think Kiri is probably the only other one you really want to think about. He's in that awkward to fill half position, so he's not for me, but if anyone wanted to, wanted to take a, a punt on a pod again, he, he could quite conceivably do the same type of thing they did last year and sort of get off to a good start. Yeah, that's a, a few really good shouts. Kerry seemed to dominate even with, with Pierce there, so there's a chance he could coexist really nicely with Cooper Cronk. Orbison's an interesting one. I think he's a really good point to put in your centre wing based on his high floor. And looking at the numbers, 47, 47, 48 over the last three years. Not fantastic, but 416,000. You could probably do worse running off Cronk on that side. Yeah, the only thing is he's probably not going to play 80 minutes, is he? So he's probably that type of guy who's going to rotate with Madison a little bit. So unless he scores a try here and there, he has that high floor capability. But at that price, maybe at the very least, you know he's a type of local give you 40 points if you desperately want a high floor with potential upside. Yeah, and that's what's stopping me from, from going there. So um, I can see Madison or even one of the other bigger boppers like Liu or Takiyaho going around in that edge rotation from the middle and taking away the 
the potential for him to, to have his 80, 80 minutes a game. He did 47 points a game off 77 minutes last year. It's not very appealing when you think about that, if he's going to be doing 60 or 65 minutes. So that's the kicker. That's the old drawing board then. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that that's it with the Roosters. I apologise to everyone listening out there, guys. I've had a bit of a cold and um, my voice is probably sounding terrible. So I'll get some lozenges for the next one. I'll make sure I feel a little bit better. And you can download us on uh, SoundCloud. You can follow me, Barnsey, on there, and we'll have them up there really quickly. Otherwise, uh, they'll be on iTunes shortly as well, and you're welcome to share them around with your friends and everything. And that, as always, uh, thanks a lot, Billy. It was really good to have you on again. Always fun, mate. Barnsey and Captain Monotone. Good motto. <laughs> I think you're better off sticking with Billy the Beast, mate. So we'll... we'll, we'll <laughs> We'll stick with that nickname. It might be a little bit better for you. We'll see how we start, mate. Maybe we can do a podcast one night when the kids aren't asleep. I can get a little bit more excited. (laughs) All right. Good stuff. I'm going to go and rest my voice up. Billy, you go and get a rest. And everyone else, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you again soon.